0: Hello and welcome to The Pilgrim Way, my name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches in Scotland. The aim of these signposts is to try and help to connect the text of the Bible with our everyday lives. Today I want to read just one verse from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Well, the story of Joseph is one of the best-known stories of the Bible, and his importance is highlighted by the fact that his story covers 13 chapters of Genesis, closing the book, in fact. Far too much material for us to be able to cover today, but our text highlights a key factor in Joseph's story, namely that his story is crucial to the story of Israel that follows it. As Liam Gollacher notes, Joseph's story is full of drama, there is conflict, envy, murderous intentions, sexual temptation, desperate circumstances, improbable coincidences and even supernatural interventions. It's also a story, the events of which are critical to the birth of the nation of Israel and yet it's also the very personal story of one family. As we don't have time to cover the whole story, uh, I want to just quickly run through a few highlights. Joseph was the favoured and very spoiled youngest son of Abram's grandson Jacob. His famous coat of many colours was a gift from his father and one that provoked his older brothers to envy. God spoke to Joseph in his dreams, revealing how one day his brothers would bow down in homage to him. Unfortunately, Joseph lacked the wisdom to keep that to himself and so aggravated the anger of his brothers that they already felt towards him. One day, when they couldn't stand his bragging any longer, they decided to kill him. But as fate would have it, a caravan of merchants came by and so instead of killing him, they sold Joseph to them as a slave for 20 shekels of silver. In order to explain his disappearance, they tore up his coat, smeared it with blood, convincing their father that a wild animal had torn him to pieces. Meanwhile, Joseph is sold off to an Egyptian official, but God was with him and blessed everything that he did. And so Joseph was soon put in charge of his master's entire house. Unfortunately for Joseph, his master's wife quite fancied him and when he refused to have sex with her, she framed him for sexual assault and he ended up in prison. Once again we are told that God was with him and in no time at all again he was practically running the jail because God blessed everything that he did. Now when he was in jail he interpreted the dreams of two fellow inmates and that eventually put him in a position to interpret a rather troubling dream of the Pharaoh. Uh, As a result of doing that Pharaoh made him the second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph not only interpreted Pharaoh's dream which turned out to be a warning from God about a famine that would last seven years but he also came up with a plan to deal with it. And his plan worked and he saved all of Egypt. In fact, people came from other countries to buy grain from them because the famine was so widespread. And, of course, his family also came. And through various means, he saved his family and was eventually reconciled with them. And he brought his father and his brothers and all their families to come and live in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, That's what you would think. That's how the story normally goes. Except under the new pharaohs, the move to Egypt led to uh, the whole of the Hebrew people becoming slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. But that's another part of the story. Using Joseph to save his family and the whole of Egypt, God was keeping his promise to bless Abram's family and to cause them to be a blessing to the world. The promise to Abram was the beginning of the people of Israel from whom Jesus Christ would come into the world to save us. We often overlook the fact that part of the promise was that Abram's descendants would spend 400 years being afflicted in Egypt. So at the very beginning of his covenant relationship with his chosen people, God predicts a 400-year stay in Egypt and the return to the promised land. Now if God plans 400 years of affliction for his people before they can inherit the promised land we shouldn't be surprised then when he says to us through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. But before any of that can happen they have to get to Egypt first and their journey there begins with a despicable act fueled by envy and ends with an act of forgiveness and mercy. There is so much in Joseph's story that is worthy of further consideration, we can't hope to cover it all in one signpost. But I want to just note uh, a few points. Firstly, Joseph was chosen by God in an act of grace. Nowhere in Genesis are we told uh, or get any hint that Joseph was especially holy uh, or an especially righteous person or that he'd accomplished anything to warrant God's choosing of him. It's never suggested that he earned or deserved God's favour. In fact, when we first meet Joseph, he's a big-headed, big-mouthed, annoying teenager who manages to rub everyone up the wrong way. The fact that he was used greatly by God to preserve the life of the people in fulfilment of God's promises to Abraham was solely an act of God's sovereign grace. In the same way, none of us can lay any claim to special righteousness or holiness. None of us can say that we are holy enough to deserve God's mercy and favour. The Bible leaves us in no room to manoeuvre when it declares that all have sinned and and fall short of God's glory, and it's for this reason that we can't actually stand in judgment of anyone else, for we are all as guilty as the next person, all as unworthy of God's mercy. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says that God's means of saving us were so such that no one can boast before Him. No one's going to get before the throne of God and say, "I deserved this. It was an act." Or it always is an act of God's grace. Secondly, we see from Joseph's story that he prized pleasing God more than he prized the fleeting pleasures of sin. Well, let's be honest, sin always feels good when you're doing it. It's only afterwards that we might feel some guilt. If sin wasn't pleasurable then actually no one would do it, but it is and so we do. In fact, sin always holds out a promise of pleasure to us, a promise that the pleasure of this particular sin will bring lasting satisfaction that our souls seek. Uh, John Piper puts it this way, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. (coughs) Excuse me. The problem with sin is that it never keeps that promise and despite the fact that we learn again and again that it never keeps its promise we still fall for it again and again. We fall for it simply because we prize the promises of sin more than we prize the promises of God and the key to resisting temptation and avoiding sin therefore is to prize the promises of God more than we prize the promises of sin and Joseph did exactly that. Sexual temptation is one of the most powerful forces that humans experience. It has been the ruin of many a politician and also of many a preacher as well. By all accounts Joseph was a handsome guy and Potiphar's wife had the hots for him. His master was often away for the, the house for days uh, and so Joseph found himself in a situation where sex was on offer. Uh, It was available, the the time and the place were there, Um, she was willing, all he had to do was say yes. But he said no. And he said it not just once, but every time Potiphar's wife propositioned him. Joseph is clearly concerned about abusing the trust that his master has placed in him by putting him in charge of all his household affairs. But the most important thing in Joseph's mind is that to begin an affair with her would be a sin against God. Pleasing God was more important than pleasing himself. And I wonder if any of us can truthfully say that. It's easy enough to say it after singing some rousing worship songs or after a particularly uplifting church service or spiritual experience of some kind. But what about in the hard reality of an ordinary day? What about in the face of temptation? What about when family or friends try to engage us in things that dishonour God? Being a disciple of Jesus means making some very hard, very difficult choices in life. And if we would bring God glory or hold the name of Jesus in high honour, then we must allow our hearts to be captured by a greater vision than the sin on offer. Her hearts must be captivated by a vision of the greatness of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, his integrity and faithfulness cost Joseph dearly. For as the old saying goes, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so Joseph ended up in prison for years for a crime he did not commit. And yet we can sense from the story that it was a price that he was willing to pay. And it begs a question. What price are we willing to pay to maintain the integrity of our faith? The limit of the price we are willing to pay is the limit of our faith in and our relationship with God. Thirdly we can see that Joseph refused the opportunity for revenge. There's little doubt that Joseph was tempted to get revenge on his brothers when he had the chance. I mean they Uh, threatened to kill him and then sold him off into slavery and now he was the second most powerful man in Egypt and who comes looking to buy grain but his brothers. He was in a perfect position to get his revenge and if anyone deserved revenge it was Joseph after all his brothers had done to him. And the extent of their brutality and evil is revealed from a careful reading of the whole story. If you go back to Genesis 37, 25, you discover that after they'd thrown Joseph in a pit, they sat down to have a meal. The text moves on quickly, but if you fast forward to Genesis 42 and 21, we learn that they had callously eaten that meal whilst Joseph begged and pleaded with them for his life. They could hear him from the hole they'd thrown him in. Now the tables had turned and it was Joseph who was in a position of power and authority and he could have had them all imprisoned or killed and no one would have said a thing. In fact, the Pharaoh would probably have been willing to give the order on Joseph's behalf. When you read the story, I think there's little doubt that it was a real temptation for Joseph. He wrestled with it. In the end, he rejected it and refused to give in to the evil of that desire. Instead, He showed mercy and compassion, forgiveness and grace. And in doing so, he brought reconciliation and healing to a very dysfunctional family. And so too, followers of Jesus are charged to forgive our enemies, to bless those who persecute us for peace and reconciliation on our God. In trying to understand Joseph's story, we need to remember that it's part of the story of the family of Abraham and also part of the story of of God's salvation for us. Just as Genesis 22 was a picture of the future salvation that God would bring about through Jesus, so too the life of Joseph is intended to point to him. We see in Joseph's life a general pattern that repeats again and again in the story of salvation that God's saving victory often comes through sin and suffering. Joseph's brothers sinned against him and he suffered greatly for most of his life because of it and yet God was at work in it all to save his people, including the very ones who were trying to destroy the Saviour. In the same way, Jesus came to save God's people, not from famine, but from sin and its deadly effects. In doing so, he was sinned against and suffered greatly for it. Just as Joseph was sold for a few silver coins by his brothers, in the same way Jesus was sold out for silver coins by his brother Judas. In the story of Joseph and the sin of his brothers, we are being prepared to see the glory of Christ, his patience and humility and servanthood, suffering but all the while saving the ones who were killing him. The story of Joseph and the sin of his brothers prepares us to see Jesus, not just because of the general pattern that God's saving victory for his people often come through these means, but more specifically in this case, because the very one who is suffering and being sinned against is so righteous. Joseph stands out in the story for his amazing constancy and faithfulness to every relationship. Even in undeserved exile, he's faithful to Potiphar, And he's faithful to the jailer. And what was Joseph's reward? He was lied about by Potiphar's wife and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. Forgotten. Thanklessly. I mean, he'd interpreted his dream for him. But he thanklessly forgot all about him. And Joseph languished in prison for another two years. And so the point of all this is not just that there is sin and suffering. And that God is at work in it to save his people. More specifically the point is that the righteous one, even though mistreated for so long, is finally vindicated by God. His vindication becomes the very means of salvation of his persecutors. Jesus Christ is the final and ultimate and perfect righteous one. To onlookers, it seemed like he was under the judgment of God, but he endured all the sin and suffering in perfect righteousness, which led to his vindication and because of it, to our salvation. The final postscript of Joseph's life is that although his brothers did what they did with the intention of harming him, God intended it for good. Joseph comes to understand that. In the same way, those who killed Jesus meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The sin and suffering that Joseph endured was to bring salvation to his family and the people of Egypt. But the sin and suffering that Jesus endured brought salvation to all who come to him in faith, pledging their allegiance to him as the saving king. That, that, point of that story would be many, many years uh, unfolding after the life and death of Joseph. But here we see in Joseph's story, there are signposts pointing the way, pointing the direction that the story is going to and how it will end up. God always purposed to save us in the person of Jesus. All we have to do is come to him.